want to talk about acceptance and then also encouragement and endurance this morning, which seem to be themes that flow from this. In fact, this whole idea of acceptance Paul has been talking about for a long time in the book of Romans up until now. And you can look back at chapter 14 and see it happen a couple times there, that same word. Um, it's a word that we use a lot in our culture to accept something. And we use it appropriately, but I would say uh, pretty rudimentary, pretty flat in the, the primary way that we use it most of the time. Acceptance is a word of hospitality. It's to receive or to take, basically, something. And uh, as you see it in Scripture, particularly places like Romans, the idea of acceptance is to receive something for help, for instance, to receive someone for dinner, or to actually receive the food. Actually, that's my favorite use of it in Scripture, is that actually to eat, that is to accept the food. Uh, I'm glad that God lets us accept the food that way, because it's good stuff. Um, but often... Uh, the only way it's used culturally is at that basic level. Come as you are, you're, I'll take you as you are, and that's, that's where we end it. And that's true. It's just not quite as much as Paul's getting at here, and as much as we're supposed to be as the body of Christ. And so I think that's why it's worth focusing on for a little while. I think the question you have to ask is, acceptance to what? Why? What are you being accepted Two, and, and you can see that through the scripture. We saw verse 7 this morning. Let's just uh, orient ourselves there. It says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And in that, accepting one another as Christ accepted you, bringing praise to God, and how the community is supposed to exist together. You have Jew and Gentile coming together. You see that in the Old Testament passages listed here. There are promises in this particular section that I think are worth us noting in that acceptance that God gives to us and what it means, and what it means for the body of believers, his people. And just so we, we uh, orient ourselves as well, there are truths about God's promises that we should recognize before we even get to the three that I saw that came out of this text. The first truth is this, all God's promises are rooted in his power. Authority too, but his power. God has power, uh, and that's where his promises come from. It's not your power or my power by which God fulfills his promises. The second thing is very closely related. What God promises he will do, we, he will do. He's got, he's got the power to do it. He's got the authority to do it. And guess what? He's going to. So we can have confidence that if God says, I'm going to do it, he's going to do it. And the third, and the most important for us to remember today in this vein of acceptance is God's promises are transformative. That is to say, if you receive or accept God's promises, you do so both with great expectation and with the reality that you won't be the same once you enter into them, once he fulfills them. So the first of three that I want to focus on that I saw in the text is this. God's hope provides endurance in our weakness. And I'm really thankful for that right now in this season of life. Let's think, brothers and sisters, about what that means for one another. I'm actually going to move us backwards in Romans for a moment here. In verse, chapter 11, verse 16, it'll come up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Paul, as he normally does, he uses about a thousand different metaphors 
And so he's got two mixed together in this particular passage. Excuse me. He says this, If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And Paul's been talking about the joining together of Jew and Gentile through Jesus Christ. That Jesus fulfills the covenant uh, given to Israel, and Gentiles are a part of that. He's using that specifically here to say that when Gentiles are included into that batch of dough, they become as if they were children of Abraham from the beginning, as far as the promises of God are concerned and what God is going to do with them and through them. In the ancient world, uh, when they made bread, um, they didn't have yeast sitting in their pantry or fridge like we often do. They would just take a pinch of old bread, leave it to the side, use that in the new bread, and keep taking a pinch, much like sourdough starter is done typically um, at this point in life. Um, And then you dissolve the old bread, mix it in the new, and then you have yeast. Yeast is used in Scripture often in negative uh, ways, most of the time, not always. In Passover, of course, they were supposed to not use yeast in the bread and get rid of it in their house entirely. They needed to follow God's instructions to receive the promise, so you needed to, to not, uh, not delay what God was going to do and not sit around and wait for bread to rise. Most offerings given at the temple um, as sacrifices uh, were not to contain yeast if they were bread, uh, except um, those that were given uh, at Pentecost because that was a time of thanksgiving for the harvest and those that people got to eat in the feasts. Those are the only times they could have yeast. Jesus himself says things like, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is a hilarious passage in so many ways because then the disciples say, oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread that he said that. And I want to think I wouldn't have been like the disciples, but I know I would have. I would have missed the point too that Jesus says. He uses it negatively there. Because yeast often in Scripture is used for corruption or decay. That's that's what it's implying. And Paul himself in 1 Corinthians and Galatians says a little yeast leavens the whole dough, meaning don't boast because that's going to cause problems in the body. It's often used negatively. But Paul here, uh, Jesus, of course, uses it in a in a parable in the New Testament when he says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it with about 60 pounds of dough of flour until it worked all through the dough. And there, all of a sudden, the equation is reversed. That which usually corrupted and decayed is doing something completely different in the kingdom of God. That is, acceptance of Jesus and his kingdom means that what formerly took us away from God now makes us more like God through the power of Jesus Christ. He reverses the curse. Paul uses it here uh, to tell us the same thing, basically, but more with the community of, of believers. That what would have kept us apart now through Jesus Christ has brought us together as his people. And if we are in Christ, then we have confidence in God's work in the world and his work in you and me that he will fulfill. If we go back to chapter 15, verse 1, you can see this encouragement that's supposed to happen then because we've been grafted together, because Jesus has reversed the curse. 15, verse 1 says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If God's power isn't in us, we can't truly accept one another or endure what the world has to throw at us. It is a promise that, in, uh, that God's hope gives us strength in our weakness 
And it particularly does so through the body of Christ, through his people. Is one of the primary ways that he does that. The second promise that we can see in this passage is that God's word provides endless delight. I'm using delight here. I really mean joy is the word, but I'd rather have you write down in your fancy notebooks delight than joy, although you can put it in parentheses now, because we sometimes use joy at this time of year a lot, but we don't define it very well. This is what we mean, delight. When we delight in something, we're excited about it and we share it. It comes out of us. God's word provides endless delight. In the endurance and encouragement that Paul talks about in this passage that we need to have as the body of Christ, I got to tell you, there are seasons when sometimes you just feel beaten down, aren't there? Thank you. Sometimes you feel like you just want to take a break in life and be done for a while. Just stop running the race for a while. Sometimes you want to sit down and just take a break because life's hard. I know when I worked with college students many years ago, uh, I was in northern Colorado, and I would take them hiking in the mountains quite often. And I, I love hiking. And I go fast when I hike. And I would take these students with me, and, and I, they'd go at my speed so fast up the mountain. And when we took breaks, my rule in breaks on hiking is you better not take a break longer than five minutes ever. Two to three, that's all you need. If you sit down on that rock for five minutes or more, you're done. You are not going to keep going on. You're mentally, you're just, I'm out of it. But what's also nice is that when, when we would get each other moving, is that you also had the group of people who could then encourage one another, get off the rock, let's keep moving. And both those things matter. They matter, especially when we feel like giving up. Especially like when we feel like stopping and stopping for far too long because we've been beaten down a little too much. Encouragement, as it turns out, fuels endurance. And Paul's getting at that in this passage. Encouragement, I, but when, when I reflected on this this week, what, what struck me was encouragement actually means that we're addressing what's most important in the matter, even if it comes in simple ways. Encouragement uh, comes at us with some challenge as well. That's actually what's sitting behind encouragement. We're challenging someone. And maybe it's really simple. Maybe it's get up. We can do this together. Maybe it's more profound. Maybe encouragement comes in the form of, I think you need a new way to do this, but we can do this together. What you were trying isn't working. Let's try something different. But there's challenge built into it and getting at what's important built into encouragement. Accepting one another as Christ has accepted us means that by necessity, we as the body of Christ are looking for problems to resolve. We're looking to become more like Christ and encourage each other to do that at every turn. We're looking at what's most important to walk together and encourage one another and challenge each other to that end. And where we don't reflect Christ because of our brokenness, God has actually given us the power and remarkably some authority as his people to help out in his world. God has given us power and some authority to encourage and endure together because the body of Christ is, is designed to be a part of the remedy of the brokenness of this world. It's Jesus who saves 
but his hope shows up when his people show up. If we continue along this idea of encouragement or endurance and encouragement, Paul notes the source of this, and it really is twofold when you get down to it. So go to verses 4 and 5. Paul says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. In Scripture, we get the stories of people who did endure, Paul tells us. And we ought not ignore those. God was working in those lives and in some profoundly difficult situations where people felt like giving up. I bet Joseph felt like giving up when he was in prison for a long time for something he didn't do. In the body of Christ, both in Scripture and even in this room, and we've even heard some this morning, the testimonies of those who have endured encourage us today. And we ought not make light of those and ignore those. We ought to listen to those carefully because they encourage us and fuel our endurance in the race. And the promise of God fulfilled and to be fulfilled in Scripture encourages us today. The promises we see now, the promises beyond simply this passage encourage us. But here's the thing. Paul is telling us, if we don't know the Scriptures, we will not endure. That's the source. If we don't know the Scriptures, we will not give the best encouragement to one another either as the body of Christ. I'll tell you, over the last couple of months of our we've, uh, acute grief that we've been feeling in our own family um, at the loss of Elia, our 13-year-old, um, the most meaningful encouragements have not been words. Um, people have constantly said, you know, I don't have the words. And that's fine to say, but I'll help everybody. You don't need them. It's okay. The most meaningful moments have been the ministry of presence. And I know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one story of a, a pastor or colleague. We just run into each other at, at different functions. We were at the, a pastor's spouse retreat not too long ago. And he didn't know what was going on. We were in a group, and, and I mentioned something. And afterwards, he's like, oh, forgive me. I don't know what's going on, but it sounds like something really difficult happened. So I told him. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and put his head down, and he said, I'm just so sorry. And just stood there with me. That was the most meaningful thing. Meaningful bit of encouragement I've experienced in a while. We get that through the body of Christ. But the other thing that I wanted to say about that is not simply the ministry of presence. There was reality to that. I've also had people say things to me, and nobody in this room, okay? We've covered this before. We covered this a couple weeks ago. Say things to me that weren't true, that they were using to try and give me hope. That's not helpful. It's not encouragement. We're rooted in the truth of the Scriptures as God's people, and we walk together through the thick and thin in His truth. That's the encouragement and endurance that Paul's talking about. Finally, third promise I see is the body of Christ is a first fruit of God's peace for the world. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. Here we saw that word. Accept one another, then as Jesus, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. 
peace here is not peace as simply agreement to avoid trouble or to not have argument. Peace is the full thriving and um, fullness of uh, intent of what God has for humanity. Peace, though, here rooted in the mind of Christ and lived out among the people is what Paul's talking about. That's the only source for this kind of peace. And you don't get there as God's people without studying, studying and contending with Scripture together. Sometimes we can easily, as the church, get burdened down and busy on the details of church and the nitty-gritty. But if we don't study and contend with Scripture, we haven't asked the question, is this what we're supposed to do? Growth. You don't get the mind of Christ and live it out among the people if we don't grow. And I've been pastoring in churches for 15 years now, and I've seen it in every church. People who sat down in their growth with Christ and are still sitting. And we need the body of Christ to encourage one another to grow in Christ. And finally, the peace of Christ rooted, rooted in the mind of Christ and lived out among the people happens when we look outward, not inward. Thanks to Dan for his good words in the announcement this morning of looking outward. When we look inward, that's usually what we're encouraged in our day and time as far as acceptance is concerned, the use of that word. It doesn't get you that far to simply look inward. You've got to do it to some degree. But if we're the body of Christ... Accepting, Christ, accepting one another as Christ has accepted us, then we by nature have to look outward, not inward, to expand that mission. Romans 15.7 says one more interesting thing that we ought not miss. Because we've been talking about encouraging and accepting one another. It says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. But do you notice why? In order to bring praise to God. I read this this week in my personal devotions, Psalm 64.10. It was a translation I was not familiar with and I loved it. It said, honest hearts sing praise. Those who know the truth and those for whom the truth is rooted in them sing praise. Honest hearts sing praise. Those who know the acceptance of Christ and the acceptance of His body sing praise. And there's a danger when we don't live that out. Douglas Moo, the uh, biblical scholar, says disunity among Christians not only damages our own walk with God and our reputation to outsiders, it also damages our ability to give God the glory He deserves. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted us to bring praise to God. That's our goal. I want to encourage you then, and in fact challenge you, to do some encouraging today and this week. So practice acceptance through encouragement is my challenge to you. And I have a couple of specific ways I'll challenge you in a moment. But I want to start out by saying this. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we're afraid of challenge. Right? I already said that you know, encouragement brings with it challenge in the edge. And sometimes we're afraid to say the things that need to be said within the body of Christ, to get people off their seats and to move together. Not to talk down to somebody, but to move together. We're afraid of challenge. 
I know, uh, I don't remember if I've shared this story or not, so forgive me. But I've been here for nine and a half years. Um, and when I was starting the interview process here, I was also actually, you know, when you're open to call as a pastor, you often are talking to multiple churches. And I was having some pretty promising conversations with the church in California at the same time. Um, and I remember I was at a, a pastor's conference where all the covenant pastors were, and that's a convenient place for people to do this. That's why I went. And so I, was, I had lunch with, uh, with the lead pastor of this church that was basically the same thing I was doing in Colorado at the time, but bigger and kind of a more expanded role as an associate pastor at this church, which is, I was associate at the previous church. And then he said, boy, I like this conversation so much. Let's have lunch with the whole staff tomorrow. So, okay, let's do that. So we had lunch with the whole staff, had a super time. It would have been a really cool opportunity, but I'm so glad God called me here for so many reasons. And I love being here. I share this because I think God called me here. And I share that because if I wouldn't have done it, I, wouldn't have, I don't believe that, that an opportunity is like it would have been a challenge. God was calling me to be challenged to be more in my leadership, my pastoral ability, and coming here as a lead pastor instead of an associate was part of that. My prayer life has grown tremendously as your pastor. My knowledge and engagement with Scripture has grown so much as your pastor in ways it never would have in a lateral move like that. So many other things have grown because I was challenged in a way that seemed beyond what I felt I could do in some ways. And I have a tendency to bite off more than I can chew. Don't be afraid of challenge, brothers and sisters, especially not within the body of Christ. Fear holds us back from accepting God's promises all too often. It shouldn't, and we shouldn't let it dominate in this place. So as we heard this morning already in the announcements, you know, being in person, in worship, I recognize the sticky issue still. That's actually an encouragement to one another. Have you ever paid attention to that? Like when people are in the same room together, that encourages the body of believers. So I'm thankful that we do it. Let's continue to encourage one another to be together in person as much as possible. Participating in ministry. Some of us are sitting on the sidelines. Some of us are so deep in there that we're overwhelmed. Participating in ministry is an encouragement to the body of Christ. If that's an area you haven't been engaged in or for a while, find your place because it encourages the body of Christ. Sharing Christ with a neighbor or friend or coworker or whoever in your life that doesn't know Christ is a massive encouragement. Pray for ways that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ, especially this season. This is the time of year when people are most open to coming to church, Christmas time. Be open to that and pray for that. Two simple questions for encouragement. How can you encourage someone in the next, we'll say 10 minutes, because we have communion still, the next 10 minutes this morning? Once the service ends, the benediction happens, how can you encourage someone in the house today? Think that through now. And secondly, how can you encourage someone this afternoon? It's remarkable what a little text to someone will say, I haven't heard from you in a while, I've been thinking about you, how can I pray for you, will say. Or a card, or a call, or whatever it takes. How can we as the body of Christ be encouraging to bring praise to God today?